And welcome back to the Data Hub of Tyrone Titanoe. I'm Tyrone Titanoe, and we have with us uh, Peter Avila, who is the Assistant Manager for Field Operations for the 2020 Census of Guam. Welcome back, Peter. Thank you. And also Terry Long, our local census advisor uh, from the U.S. Census Bureau and one of the newer residents of Guam who will be counted on the 2020 Census of Guam. Right? Hi, Terry. Hello. And uh, for any of you who have any more questions for the panel, our lines are still open at 477-5757, 477-5757. And to uh, explore the wonderful topic of the 2020 Census of Guam. But perhaps more, more uh, uh, sanely is to... Uh, what we can expect um, as the process moves forward. So perhaps, Terry, so we're reaching the, the, the end of the address listing phase, which will wrap up at the end of this week. So what can people expect uh, moving forward, not just next month, but the months to come? How do you how, perhaps uh, give them an idea of how things are going to unfold? So basically, starting next week, uh, the enumerators that you've seen walking around uh, with their what we call address registers the last month will now start knocking on your doors um, to conduct the in-person interviews. So this will start off next week and it will continue through the early summer. So we're looking at until the end of June. And so just, just walk, it, walk it through. Somebody, a census uh, enumerator will knock on the door and if you happen to be home, well, if you're not home, what, what you touched on this earlier, they'll leave a... A, a notice a, of visit. So a note of visit. And you'll see that on, um, in a bag. So the, okay, so we put the notice of visit in a bag so that it doesn't get wet and mm -hmm. it doesn't blow away, and we want to make sure that we uh, tie it to a doorknob or if you have a fence that's in front of your property, we'll tie it to the fence. And so that is where we will leave our contact information so you can call and make an appointment as mm -hmm. well as let you know that we will be back to follow up in a few days. So that's what happens if you're not home when an enumerator comes by. So there's not an expectation that you will count contact the census offices. It's a notice that they've been there and they will contact you. Correct. So th what the notice of visit lets you know is that a census worker came out to your household, knocked on the door, and that you have the option to call and make an appointment, or we will come back in a few days. Okay. 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 Before we move on, as Francis said, there's Francis on line one. Hello, Francis. Welcome to the Data Hub. Uh, you have a question for our panel? Yeah. It was about, what is it, 10 years ago was the last census? In 2010, yes. All right. Uh, you know, 10 years ago... Uh, what do you call them, enumerators that are going to be out on the streets mm -hmm. collecting data and stuff? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, how, how do we, how does the census handle the uh, corporate, you know, uh, there are uh, business uh, corporate worlds here in the island that do business but are not necessarily residents of the island. Well, with this purpose of the, t of the census is to count people, uh, not businesses or corporations or foundations or, or private associations. So... It, it, it won't quite enter into the process for this purpose. All right, all right. So, so is uh, immigration going to be uh, partaking in this in this, this census? Because you know, ten years ago, I remember that there were uh, illegal aliens of the that are not supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. uh, how is that working out? How is it going to work out for for the census? Sounds like a great question for the federal representative <laughs> for the 2020 Census of Guam, Terry. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt that coming. So um, <laughs> it is a great question. I, I do want to make a distinction for those individuals who are here for business purposes. If you primarily live here, mm -hmm. then you as an individual and your household will be counted here. However, your business will not be included. So I just want to make that little small distinction. So if you're primarily living here, then you will still be counted here, but your business will not be included. Mm -hmm. All right. Secondly, uh, what about uh, veterans' issues? Uh, anything? You, you know, know anything about that? Of veterans and their families and 
in the community, uh, are, are they subject to the same uh, uh, application for, for, for the census? So everybody that lives on Guam will get the same questions. And so we do have questions on the questionnaire that are targeted specifically for the uh, veteran community. They ask about veteran status, they ask about the service disability rating. And, and what conflict they served in, I believe. What, yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah, so a rather extensive um, portion of it deals with the uh, identifying the veterans population. Correct. So w when, if that data becomes available, that will be very valuable in terms of um, not only um, uh, acquiring for more federal support for our veterans who, who deserve it, but any also future planning to meet veterans' needs. Correct, correct. All right, so uh, last is uh, all this financial uh, information, is that supposed to be released during the census? So when you say financial information being released, so the census itself does not release your personal information. There are questions on the during the interview process that talk about finance, but we don't release it to the public at all. Everything that you uh, give us during the interview, we are uh, sworn for a lifetime to uphold. So the information that's collected is for statistical purposes only. All personal identifiable information is stripped out of it when it's aggregated. And actually the facility that holds up this data is a, a Title 19? Title 13. Title 13. Um, uh, I, I'm sorry, other policies choose <laughs> Title 19 into it, but a Title 13 facility, which means it has to abide by federal uh, requirements for securing all any information ga uh, gathered here and keep it under under uh, under a safe uh, with only uh, limited staff having access to it actually uh, caller when when I visit the census office in Tamuni, uh I have to get a visitor's badge you know and be escorted uh, because the security requirements are so tight and so that's how safely this uh, this information is, is guarded in addition to having all the people who have access to it swear a non-disclosure agreement for life so, uh, any other questions, caller? Sounds good, man. We're looking forward to it. Thank you for really, uh, and, my and thank, thank you, you so much for your call. That that was really helpful. Thank you. And so, we uh, as we await the next call, uh, <laughs> you you're, you're in the process of describing how the uh, over the next few months the 2020 census will unfold, and we got to the point where they no they knock on the door and someone's at home. So what happens after that? The very first thing that happens after someone opens the door is the enumerator will introduce themselves. They will give their name and state that they are with the 2020 Census of Guam. So the very first thing that must happen is they give their name, they state their purpose, and then they show their two badges. Mm -hmm. And it is two badges. One is a Gov Guam badge and the other one is a federal badge which identifies them as a census worker. So before anything has happened, that is the very first thing that all of our enumerators will do when someone opens the door. The next thing... And by the way, uh, just to touch on the subject we raised earlier, uh, because we get, uh, the Antonio Lamarena show, they got an inquiry from a blind person. If uh, you're visually impaired, you can, uh, once getting the name of the census enumerator, you can call the census office at 645-2020 and uh, give the uh, census office their name and they will verify that, that person, the actual enumerator, who's supposed to be in that neighborhood at that time. Correct. And then after that, um, once that has happened, before an interview even commences, an enumerator will hand the uh, person at the door what we call a confidentiality notice. This notice states that everything that is uh, discussed, disclosed and discussed during this interview is protected by that Title 13 confidentiality. It's a lifetime oath. And so that is what happens at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And then the next step would be to speak with the householder. So mm -hmm. that's the request, to speak with the householder for that household and then to conduct the interview based upon if that person is available. 
And then uh, how long is the interview expected to be? It lasts approximately 40 minutes. And roughly how many questions are, are on the form? The number of questions actually varies. So we don't really have a set number of questions because what we have are, we call them skip patterns. So depending on how an individual responds to a question will determine what the next question in, in is. Answer, if, if asked if they are a veteran, if their answers are no, you don't yet can skip the questions that ask what confidence they served Exactly. In, yeah. But uh, let's say we max out everything, you know, we're just give the, give the audience a, 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 just a rough idea of how the, the, the ceiling, although most people won't reach that ceiling. Right, so I would like to do that, but even within the questions, mm. there are tiers within each one. So if there's question, let's say question 25, and within question 25, they may say A, B, C. So if you do A, do you do C or D? So there is no real set number. It just depends on what the answers are going to be. Yeah, that was the answer I was expecting, but I thought I'd pose a question <laughs> just to like elucidate uh, uh, how how this goes. So they 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 they're they're found they're found to be at home. They're given uh, the uh, identification. Uh, they they uh, take time to go through the uh, questionnaire, and then uh, what happens after that? So once the interview is completed, mm -hmm. the enumerator thanks you for your time lets you know that somebody from the office may call to uh, verify the work, basically to check up to make sure that that enumerator was there, mm -hmm. and then they leave. And then they leave. Oh, I heard a, I heard a buzzer on the end. Bronson, we're okay? Okay. <laughs> so He was excited so that they were leaving. Very I don't know. There's no, yeah, there's no, ding. That was uh, me. That was me. I that was you? There, there was an alert for incoming missiles from North no, Korea? Okay. <laughs> so we'll continue on. Okay. Okay. So at that point, the interview is complete, and then the enumerator goes on to the next uh, household. Okay, and so the enumeration phase is expected to last from March into May, basically. Yes, the end of May, although there might be some follow-up activities in the month of June. Well, and, and actually some of the follow-up may, may start as early as May, as, as, as more enumerators complete their tasks. Correct. Their, their, their staff is freed up, and they can go, go and start with the follow-up phase. And so we've got, we're now in the address listing phase, and it's almost gone. We're going to wave goodbye to it on Friday. On Monday, we'll wave hello to the enumeration phase and uh, descend upon people's homes and, uh, and, <laughs> and ask them uh, uh, questions about, uh, about their background and their household for which they are sworn never to gossip about for the rest <laughs> of their lives. Are they in trouble? N not, not with me, but with the United States government. So, which, which none of us really want to be in trouble with. Some people <laughs> maybe don't mind not being in trouble with me, I mean, but you know. Five years in prison. Five years in prison. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine, or both. Or both, and maybe it was Sarah jail cell with Harvey Weinstein. You know, who knows? <laughs> so, in any event. <laughs> oh, oh, that that's probably that's probably true, uh, but in in any event. Um, uh, so I apologize anyone was, was offended to, but man, you know, five, no, five years and 250000 fine, I think that's enough of a deterrent. So anyway, getting back to the show, uh, we're done with the, um, with the uh, enumeration phase and, and do the follow-up phase. It kind of explain back perhaps to the uh, listeners what would prompt a follow-up and what would a follow-up look like. So for us, we do a series of data quality checks um, in the field and then back when the materials come back into the office. So for a follow-up attempt may simply just be a phone call. So just before I get off that subject, a data quality check is like making sure the form is completely filled out or filled out legibly. Correct. Uh, by, Correct. by the enumerator so the actual data is actually covered. Isn't also part of the follow-up phase um, uh, in addition to uh, going back to uh, homes that for even on the normal enumeration phase were difficult? Uh, to access either because of safety reasons or 
are, are just just hard to find the person at, at home. Or they, when the census call tries to call them, it was difficult to find them. So that's part of the follow-up phase, is it not? So that actually is still part of enumeration. So all the attempts that we make on the household are part of enumeration. Ah, follow-up okay. is more when we've had a completed materials have come back into the office and we have follow-up questions regarding either some of the questions um, that might not be legible, for example, mm -hmm. on the questionnaire, or if we just want to verify that an enumerator was at that location. So an enumerator's job is not done until they've actually found that person or contacted the person. Or gotten the interview for that household. Okay, and uh, by the expectation, though, of found everybody by, by the end of May. Cross fingers, knock wood, et cetera, et cetera. But that's why they get that good pay, right? That's, that's why they get that pay. Enumerators uh, actually get paid at uh, $18.64 nice. an hour. Nice. Assistant crew chiefs get, uh, get more, and uh, crew chiefs gets above that. They're both in the range of about 19 I, I believe if my memory serves me right. So, Bronson, you know, <laughs> this is what you can do right. other than Tuesday nights at 6.30 yes. to 8 p.m. here at the Data Hub. <laughs> you can do work for the 2020 Census of Guam. We are still hiring. We're still, they're still hiring. And um, so, you've done the uh, follow-up uh, follow phase and b assume uh, by that point, uh, which we're projecting by the end of June, right, to, to cover everybody. So what happens next in the process? So then we take all the information that we collected and we ship it off island back well, to... Well, before then, isn't there a, um, a third-party assessment? So, oh, there is an optional... Optional third-party third assessment. Third-party right, assessment. Right, okay. So there is a process, it's called local count review, that is an option where the local government has an opportunity for approximately seven days mm -hmm. to review uh, preliminary information and give us any initial feedback. So, as was explained to me early on when I, when I got this job here, that process involves a panel that's not connected with the 2020 Census operation. People who are, uh, though, who are not been part of the Census uh, um, operation, but have a knowledge of the geography of the island. So, this would be, uh, for example, uh, realtors, people in the, uh, in the working with utilities, or local department of public works, or perhaps even mayors themselves. And what, and in part of their assessment is, basically if the geography was covered, right? Correct. That's really what the assessment is looking for, to make sure As that opposed to looking that the forms are in proper state. That's another data quality. Right. This one is to make sure every uh, area is covered. So, it's, you know, in case some mayor says, but what about those three homes down this road here? Oh, there are three homes there. Okay. And then in which case here, um, if it's required, uh, then a, a team can be sent out to cover that area if it's found that anything is not covered, but we don't expect... At, at this level, given this level of staffing and the level of preparation that any place would be missed. I mean, the, uh, that's in part what this agile listing phase right. is about, is to go out and scope to make sure we know where everybody has lived. Exactly. So when we send out the enumeration phase, that everyone is covered. And that's why we do all the data quality checks and so forth. So uh -huh. there's a series of steps before we even get there, before we even are at what we consider complete. So Peter, as busy as you are today, you're, 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 you're about to get even a more horrific level of busyness over the next few months. Is that, uh, does that uh, find that a little daunting or apprehensive about that? Motivating. Motivating. It's motivating. There we go. Uh, I knew that's the reason why we hired you. There we go. <laughs> Up for the challenge. But there's something though I found with, uh, with the whole census uh, staff is that although this is a, um, a limited uh, one-shot deal here, uh, there is a level of excitement of being involved in an operation like this. And I, I've often compared this to putting on a Broadway play, even though eventually the play will close, you know, it's just that excitement of getting part of a massive production, uh, being part of a, of a national operation with the 2020 Census of Guam. And uh, I think that's level of excitement. So, 
So I'll, I'll pass along to you another question uh, as, as often asked me. How are things going in, uh, on the states and other jurisdictions as, as the federal representative here for the U.S. Census Bureau? I'll so I would love to be able to tell you that, but honestly, my focus has been completely on Guam. Ah. So I can't tell you what's happening stateside or what's happening even in another island area territory because I am just so focused on Guam. As befits one of our newer Guam <laughs> residents. Yeah. I, I do know that uh, they will start doing the uh, enumeration, the, in, the interviews will start in the middle of March. So they start a couple of weeks after us. So mm -hmm. we are ahead of the stateside operation in terms of starting to do the interviews. And as uh, indicated by your colleague Julie Kim, who was in the last uh, time we did this about a month ago, uh, Guam and Alaska were the first uh, jurisdictions in the field for as part of the uh, 2020 census nationwide. That is so correct. Guam was the first Guam island. and Alaska lead the nation yes, you know, yes. on the census. So nice. where were the, you know, where America's Day starts. So. Where America's Day begins <laughs> is, 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 the, is the phrase. Um, and in, in any event, uh, so th so we're at, um, you ship the stuff, uh, uh, the, the, all the, de uh, the uh, completed forms and everything's checked. That includes not only ones collected by um, the uh, people under Peter's supervision, but also on the census operation on base at the same time? Would it be shipped oh, yeah. out at the same time? So all, all of the completed data collection materials for the entire 2020 census operation here on Guam will be shipped at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then what, uh, and then this is roughly going to happen sometime in around August as projected. So this is happening in July. Now in July, okay. Yeah. And then what happens in, in, in August? It's we celebrate. We <laughs> celebrate. <laughs> it's over. That's what the, that's what all the bourbon in the back room is for, right? Yeah. Okay, oh. got it. Don't, don't tell anybody. Anybody. But um, no, we go through a an organized like drawdown mm -hmm. just because just like we had to ramp up in order to uh, get yes. to. Um, I'm using your Broadway analogy to previews, which is like address listing. Yes, we then um, we have to actually do an orderly. We have to strike the tendons, strike the sets, and exactly. you know, and, uh, and uh, wrap up everything up. And so, by the end of September, the entire census uh, 2020 census Guam operation will have been. Uh, as a field, as a as an ongoing operation, we'll, be, we'll have closed by then. It will have closed by then. And then we will no, we'll tearfully gather at the airport and wave at you as you board the plane, yes, yes. assuming you're not quarantined here for coronavirus. <laughs> oh, you no, know, no. and then let's not even joke. About no. That. <laughs> oh my God, I'm just telling you the wrong no, things, kidding, aren't I? I'm you kidding. know. But I was um, just thinking, uh, honestly, I have to. Um, per like the the way it works, I will actually be leaving at the beginning of September. Ah, okay. Well, well, I'm glad we found out so we don't schedule the uh, goodbye party, right. you know, after you're supposed to Let's leave. Let's schedule okay. before Labor Day, yes. Okay. Ah, well, then you'll be able to get in, and, and, and you, uh, from the D.C. area is that's when you correct, come yeah. back, and so you return back then. And that's when we also say goodbye to our, our census staff, which, although is, um, you, know, you know, that will be somewhat of a sad thing given how the energy put, uh, put in, into it. They will at least be left with the knowledge they've been part of a once-in-a-decade experience, right. you know, yeah. with few people involved. And and actually, what we've found in the recruitment is that we're getting people who've been involved in the 2010 census, and they they do this not also not uh, closely party for the financial compensation, but also they, they enjoyed the experience before, and uh, even from. Uh, even some of my own staff at the Bureau here have been involved. They've been looking for ways of getting involved to, to do this as, as well. Um, so overall, uh, Terry, how do you think the operation has gone? I think it's going really, really well. I mean, if it wasn't, I wouldn't be able to be sitting here right now talking. Oh. So, and the fact that I'm here means things are going really, really well. Because okay, otherwise, well, we'd be putting out fires. But um, exactly. Uh, honestly, it has been, the address listing phase has gone really, really well, mm -hmm. and like I mentioned before, I'm really excited that we're going to be finishing on time, mm -hmm. and we're ready to start enumeration next week. 
and I just am encouraged by the level of excitement that I still see from our crew leaders mm. and our enumerators and all of our field staff. Like they and, are, and, really and from the level of calls we've gotten here, yes, you know, yes. which was a lot more than what we got a month ago. I when we, we got we, one, I think we got one, you know. Uh, but here, there's it must I, be Peter. Yeah. <laughs> You, you were calling to find out what you were getting into, or no? Okay, you knew by then. So, um, uh, our our guests, though, uh, have to leave for uh, some some other functions that relate to the census. Um, but in um, in case um, any of you are thinking that after a long hard day, that uh, uh, Terry Long was going to go uh, back to her apartment and for a well-deserved rest, you know, after contributing to the important work of the 2020 Census of Guam. Terry, well, why don't you share with the audience what your evening is going to be like? My evening is going to be fun-filled with continuing work. So ah. one of the joys of this job is, uh, as Tyrone mentioned, I live in D.C. normally, and mm -hmm. so I still have to communicate every day with headquarters, and we are 15 hours ahead. So I have to prepare to be on calls with individuals beginning around 10 o'clock our time, which is 7 o'clock their time, 7 a.m. For those of you who have a sense of what this is like here, there's a reason why Morning Joe and MSNBC starts at 8 p.m. on Guam, because right. that's early morning on the Eastern Standard Time. So they're just getting up for a brand new day and assuming everybody else they communicate with has had a good night's rest <laughs> already, you know, like Terry, you know. So... Uh, you'll be on, on the emails just to get ahead of the curve of the... Uh Pretty much, yes. I'm super excited about it. Can you, can you feel my excitement? Yes, we... No, but seriously, I, I, I kid. It is, um, I do have long days. I think mm -hmm. everybody that works, um, honestly, especially on the managerial staff, I know Peter puts in long time, long hours, mm -hmm. too. We all put in a long day because we want it to be successful. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to do it. It's my duty but and my privilege. Don't you also have a conference call at 11 or calls at 11? I mean, I do. Ah. And I'm still excited to do it. Okay. Yay. That, that's good. Well, we're, we're all excited for you. So, um, but in any event, uh, thank you all for your hard work, and thank you, Peter, as uh, as well. Um, Peter, what if, what do you anticipate is going to are you looking forward for the next few months here? I mean, as as a as, as a person who just got on board in January, uh, what is the sort of stuff you're looking forward to? Looking forward to uh, more interaction with the uh, with the staff, um, making sure that everybody's safe, mm -hmm. and that uh, we're we're getting the numbers that we we want to get. Uh, per day, uh, the number of contacts per day, and that we communicate with everybody else uh, as far as what is management is requiring for us to to do, and uh, that make sure that you know that we also have a good impression. Our first impression should be our best impression. So, ten years down the road, uh, the next uh, the team of uh, census workers mm -hmm. will have the same uh, uh, reception as, we, as we're experiencing right now. Well, that's a great long-range view about how, how to do this here. Actually, I don't think, um, and I, I think you would agree, I don't think I, we've gotten any complaints about the census operation, except from potential job seekers who are uh, maybe somewhat disappointed they don't quite meet the qualifications. But beyond that, I think uh, the community has generally received this in a positive light. And an interesting thing about the address listing phase, when we actually have people going out there, they're greeted positively. If not, if not, um, you know, uh, uh, with with concern to about their own safety, uh, uh, and people looking out for them as they go through the neighborhood, as opposed to being wary as to, mm -hmm. you know, why are these people bothering us, you right. know, they're it's actually uh, uh, getting involved in this, and so as we uh, go down to the bottom of the hour, uh, um, to the 7:30 mark, and 
before we say goodbye to you as you move on to your exciting evening, Terry, of work. Is there anything else you want to leave for the listeners? Just uh, look out for your numerous starting next week. Be friendly. Tie up your pets. And um, just know that they're doing, they're doing really good work, really important work. So just please participate. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Terry and Peter. And uh, we'll be back with uh, another crew from the uh, census operation a month from now to see how the first monthly enumeration phase is going here. Thank you both for being here. And we'll be back after the, this break here for the Data Hub. I'm Tyrone Titano. I know. Uh, we from there we'll continue our discussion about uh, uh, the uh, uh, programs to come here and and uh, and uh, other things to look forward for the 2020 census of Guam. So see you on the other side. Zananim, it's Senator Clint Rogel. Soon the 2020 census of Guam teams will be visiting your homes. Let's all help them collect the information they need to create more jobs, better education, and accessible health care for our clans, our families, and our fellow Micronesians. In Ikitschon Western Nonomlon Guam. Together we can lift each other up and help shape a better future for all. Kinuso Chakur. The 8th grade student produced list of videos are in and you can get the official sneak peek on Saturday, February 29 on ABC7 at 6.30pm and again on Fox 6 at 7.30pm. Be sure to vote on Power98.com for your favorite video right after the show. The 2020 Middle School Lift Up Challenge is presented by Community First Guam Federal Credit Union, Burger King, Aganya Shopping Center, Hoffa Brand, Domino's, Dr. Yang's Dental. K57 is bringing you diverse local programs programming every weeknight. Tune in at 6 p.m. for your PNC News, followed by Ikenota with Robert Underwood every Monday, The Data Hub with Tyrone Titano every Tuesday, Vet Talk every Wednesday, Man, Land, and Sea on Thursdays, and The Edge of Heaven with Rand Kaufman every Friday. Catch full episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Radio In Public, one way or Breaker. another, we are all affected by cancer. Statistics show that nearly half of all new cases of cervical cancer were diagnosed among our youth. As a mother, as a nurse, and as your Magahaga, I encourage all parents and guardians to do your part and protect our children from cervical cancer with the HPV vaccine. Join the fight against cancer. Give our future generations a fighting chance. Be protected. Get vaccinated. Prevent cancer.
And welcome back. We're, this is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. I'm Tyrone Titano. And we uh, said just said goodbye to our guests from the 2020 Census of Guam. Um, they'll be back again in about another month uh, to give us a, uh, a census to what's happening in March, which will be the first month of the enumeration phase. Um, at this point, um, uh, I just mentioned uh, what is you can see and uh, you guys can expect in upcoming shows. Next week's we'll have Bird Johnson from the Governor's Business License uh, and Permit Task Force. Uh, that task was impaneled last year to streamline the process for people to get business licenses and permits, and they've been working hard on it for a year for a very complicated task. And um, uh, Bird Johnson will uh, will bring us up to speed as to what their current recommendations are and the, and the progress is made to make it easier to do business in Guam. Recently, uh, they uh, opened up a, a new one-stop center that more fully actually meets the, the uh, ideal one-stop. But the, the Bird Johnson's task force are uh, looking at um, streamlining the effort it, it itself here. And actually, uh, uh, at the Assembly of Planners Symposium, this is a, uh, a conference put on by the Real Statistics and Plans, uh, and it was held just last Thursday on the 20th, that covered a broad range of subjects, but in the keynote address, uh, to the uh, to the assembly, uh, Lieutenant Governor Joshua Tenorio put out a challenge uh, for anyone there who had to name the top three regulations they would like to see get rid of. Wow! And have it uh, have it sent uh, sent in, and to see uh, in other words, sort of Ronson, sort of a crowdsourcing uh, from uh, public input here. And uh, any of you who have, uh, do uh, have um, a suggestion like the top, th I mean, be specific as opposed to something general, uh, particular like. Uh, Regulation for permitting or requirements for building or something like that that you would think were different fire codes, all these. Well, yeah, things. but no one would, you know, uh, beyond the general statement, well, something simple for fire code, but it's a specific regulation that's either out of date or too onerous or kind of unnecessary. Um, this is your chance to send it in. You can send it in to um, a member of my staff, uh, uh, Edwin Rages. You can uh, email at edwin.rages um, at bsp.guam.gov. And uh, the bureau will be collating these uh, the, these input and sending it on to the lieutenant governor, who's very much interested in streamlining the process, particularly for things like business license and building permits here, um, because uh, as there's a lot of experimentation or um, and actually pioneering work across the country uh, by state and local municipalities uh, to find a way to make it easier uh, for uh, businesses to do. Uh, and while it's protecting the public interest in terms of safety and health, et cetera, here, and, and finding novel ways about witching to get the this, the this objective done, uh, but in a different manner, and that's something that is cheaper for the tax paperwork. Not, not just not just yeah. paperwork. You know, there's there's sometimes an, a, a thought that uh, the uh, the uh, things are better at the more bureau, uh, the more. Uh, regulatory is done, more bureaucratic is done, and that's not uh, necessarily the case here. Uh, some of that feeds into it is that, uh, you know, the world is evolving in part for technology here. I mean, particularly in um, in the case of uh, of uh, public safety or uh, health and safety here, um, one of the uh, consequences of industrial society is that it's produced uh, a lot of new substances that don't exist in nature, yes. chemicals, and how those chemicals are, are, are I mean, it almost seems as like Every decade, there's some concern. There's either asbestos or right. some other thing. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then you have a regulatory regime to, to deal with it. Uh, and uh, I think, so, well, the, the pending issues, I think, before US EPA is something called um, forever chemicals. These are chemicals that are produced, and then even if you s uh, they sort of last forever, they don't degrade naturally wow. here. And so there is a move to examine a, a regulatory regime to, to sort of deal with these, but that's kind of like years away. 
um, you have this concern about also, uh, for example, uh, sunscreen and its impact on, on, on that, fish and wildlife, yes. and, and, and many uh, communities and, yeah. and many communities are moving to, to ban it. So the but it, so there is a legitimate reason or a legitimate concern, uh, an interest, a public interest in establishing a, a regulatory regime to cover a whole range of issues um, uh, and concerns. But there is also the task before us to try and make it easier. Uh, for people to actually function on, the, on those regimes, because if, if you if you don't make it sort of accessible, you almost sort of sort of induce a way of of, si of sidestepping it. You know, um, some of the, some of those, a, a good example of, of some of this is is for example um, the illegal dumping issue. Part of it has to do with not only a, um, a unfortunate behavior by people, but also um, the economic costs involved in, in the disposal yeah. and not having enough. Uh, Excise to do it here. There is a, there is work being done uh, by the administration to create a lifeline for uh, solid waste disposal. Uh, it is a way to address this, but these are all kind of very complicated issues. Um, ideas now they're not even implemented. Right? Yeah, so yeah. Well, no. Well, you know, there actually there there's a number of, you know, some of the stuff um, is is kind of complicated. It was sort of easy to do. We would have done a long time ago. And a lot of it is moving. Uh, for it in, in some of the and some of the stuff, I'll, I'll give you one great complicated issue, and it was something um, uh, that is almost on a crisis uh, basis at this point. Here is the issue of the coral reefs. You've, in recent years, you've gone through like four years of like major coral bleaching events, which is globally unprecedented, and it sort of devastated the reefs out there. And for that reason, the governor in June of last year included a new coral reef resiliency strategy, and uh, work in that is is proceeding as which under the coral reef resiliency strategy. The idea is to step up the management regimes and the uh, uh, operations uh, and proactive operations. So instead of just uh, responding to things as they happen, you start building resiliency and do a proactive uh, so effort. So in the first Well, uh, actually, try. in the case of coral reef, you, you, you tackle the issue instead of responding to individual crises. And, and part of that is, um, is the recent formation of the... Uh, what's known as the GRIF, which is the uh, Guam Reef Restoration uh, Group uh, organized, uh, organized by Laura Mundo UOG and Whitney Hoot from the uh, Bureau of Staff that's on Coral Reef Program. And those involve uh, utilizing nurseries and actually restoring reefs as opposed to just protecting them. Yes. And uh, that work was important just, just to build resiliencies because the, under the best science, these uh, coral bleaching events are expected to continue between now and the end of the, of the century. What would happen if that continued? Would they just destroy you all of the coral? Well, there is there is great concern on the uh, U.S. Coral Reef Task Force uh, uh, about the uh, future of the coral reefs. U.S. Coral Reef Task Force is organized uh, by the federal government includes uh, not only officials from NOAA, but also a representative from all the major uh, jurisdictions in the, country, in the country that have actually coral reefs. So it's not only us in the islands and here in Hawaii, but also uh, Florida and the Caribbean, and uh, basically to help uh, uh, define a broad-based coral reef policy. And uh, there is a very concern that uh, there's a need to shift to uh, uh, restoration efforts here in order to build from what has come from not only climate change and the, um, and the warming water that actually causes a great deal of coral bleaching, but um, uh, new threats here. For example, on the offshore of Florida, they're dealing with a uh, something that's devastated uh, one of the major coral reef uh, building blocks for, the, for their reef structure here, and it's called uh, uh, stony tissue, uh, stony, uh, stony, I'm sorry, stony coral tissue disease, and it's affected like 200 nautical square miles, uh, nautical miles of coral reefs, and it's been um, such a serious thing. They've gone to the extent 
of actually sending out divers with antibiotics to treat reefs with it in order to protect them. Uh, and but still, it's 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 ravaged them. And and one of the problems is it's it's killing the uh, that type of uh, coral quickly. And to grow it back takes a lot longer than it does to actually kill it off. But that bag bacteria was that created by? Well, they see we're in one of those situations where it's occurred, but they don't know how it occurred, and they're not quite. Sh they're still doing the science on it. Uh, but it, uh, another example of how extreme it is is that in for ravaged areas, the, what they're doing is they're transplanting. Uh, portions of the reef, and so they can, once the disease has run its course, they can replant it and so try to, to preserve the biodiversity. So they've been taking the transplants and, and shipping it off and preserving it in aquariums as far away as Iowa. And um, and so they're, they're to that extent, and I was in a conversation with the uh, head of the uh, Florida Coral Reef Operation, and uh, talking about how they they, uh, they deal with it, and, he s and she was uh, explaining that, you know, uh, it's it's very stressful, and, and they've begun to to learn through this process that sometimes when people are working on this for a while, they get this look in his eye because this sort of program attack, attracts people who are not only are trained in terms of marine biology and doing the training, but people who actually love the idea of coral reefs, yes. and to subject them on on an almost daily basis to the devastation for something they so deeply care about, which is why they got this profession. It it sort of affects them, kind of like. Uh, it, this is an extreme example, kind of like PTSD. It just, it just, it just, you just really you get that look in their eyes, and they just ah. And so I've seen them out there. Even the videos that they're, they're treating it, they're out there with the needles. With, yeah. with Annie, yeah. So that that's that's some of the stuff for for testing as well. Uh, but that's a serious one. It's spreading through the Caribbean. They found incidences in the Virgin Islands and uh, and the Dominican Republic and 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 uh, and uh, elsewhere. And um, one, uh, uh, they're they're still in the uh, stages of figuring out how this disease has uh, started and how it, how it spreads. But one concern, at least, it was when I last talked to them earlier this year or earlier uh, last year, was that the they they could not explain how it was spreading through the Caribbean. If uh, because if you take a look at the current patterns, they that does not um, exp it's not following the current patterns. Yeah. However, if you do an overlay of the shipping lanes. Then the pattern becomes, uh, ah. uh, you know, uh, possible. And they said something; they something had to be proved out. However, if, if this is being p uh, passed along by shipping, and and, and then the major culprit would be ballast water, which, by the way, has for, for quite some time been a major environmental concern. There are restrictions on, on how uh, ships can discharge ballast water. They can't just do it anywhere. But if it's being carried by ballast water, that means the disease is is spreading not by a natural occurrence, or you know, uh, but by uh, man-made shipping, and if that's the case, okay. what's happening in the Caribbean may be concerned to coral reefs global-wide, including us here in the Pacific. So, you know, it, it's 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 an ongoing sort of moving target, and and that's why the work of the uh, of the uh, under the coral reef resiliency strategy and the new grip is so important to sort of build the sort of resiliency to deal with these sort of things. At least now, before it gets worse, you're right. Well, actually, it's it's probably it, it's you know one of the premises of the coral reef resiliency strategy is to take the long view. So it's not just to prepare for the next one, but to prepare for the long haul yes. because we're going to be assaulted by climate change and warming waters for the remainder of the century. Um, the, the satellite maps are just, uh, just uh, they, when they show the wave of warming water are just uh, almost uh, almost terrifying here. We were scheduled earlier this year, earlier last year to get a major coral reef bleaching event. However, we got all these storms in the water in, in the in the area, and that sort of disrupted 
the warming went accumulated, so we we missed that bullet. But you know, the year's just starting again. You're right. You know, in a, in a sign. Yeah. So uh, I bring again to this a length here because we will have um, on the show in in in, uh, in the coming weeks here also uh, the uh, coral reef resiliency coordinator Whitney Hoot, who is a uh, marine biologist, and and she is. Uh, on the staff of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, but the uh, coral reef operation is actually under the supervision of the Director of Agriculture, Chelsea Munyabrek. Earlier uh, last year, as part of the Governor's Coral Reef Resiliency Strategy, a decision was made to move this operation to a resource management agency like the Department of Agriculture, and we're still in that sort of transition phase. But um, it's uh, the coral reefs are important not only for uh, their natural beauty here, but also its habitats for fishing, so it has sex fishing, and also, let's not forget that we are a tourism-based economy. It is the largest contributor to the economy, and the, the basis for our competitiveness as a tourist destination is essentially our environment, uh, including the coral reefs. That's part of it. It is. And in a future program, and just to solve the connection between the coral reefs and our, 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 our tourism economy, we have on um, also Mallory Morgan, who is... Uh, uh, also another biologist who is working on a reef tourism program uh, to connect um, uh, uh, but it's happening the tourist operations uh, along with measures to protect the reefs. Uh, one of them, for example, she um, she organized uh, was a supervised symposium last year to get the input from, say, marine tour operators. Right. And you you would, you not going into this, you know, um, a, uh, someone who didn't learn familiar with the train might think that you it's a sort of environment that you would get uh, some sort of resistance because you're talking about putting more, uh, uh, you know, active measures or requirements here. But actually, the marine tour, tour operators were they kind of were very, very supportive and if not a little enthusiastic yeah, about yeah. this here because, uh, you know, they they if you set standards uh, for their industry uh, that protects the integrity of their own operations and and their own professions as opposed yeah. to have individual operators who may uh, end up discrediting the entire industry. Uh, but also, they value themselves the the mainstay of their uh, of their uh, uh, their business operations, which is Guam's natural beauty. And so, they've been an active a part of of forming a reef uh, tourism policy, as has a number of the hotels. And so, we'll have her on the program in the next uh, in the ne- next few weeks too. Probably, probably not in March, but probably in April. You can even uh, know maybe the states of other islands around us. Maybe that could give us an idea of what's coming as well. Well, you know, uh, the U.S. Coral Reef Task Force is made up of not just the uh, 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 U.S. states and territories, but interestingly, they're also involved with freely associated states. Oh, wow. You know, including Palau and the FSM, and the and they have two meetings a year. One is in Washington D.C. and the other one is in another jurisdiction, uh, who are part of the U.S. Coral Reef Task Force. And uh, in the fall of last year, that second uh, meeting was in Palau. Uh, so federal officials came out, and there were a lot of leaders there doing their and uh, and uh, Guam's representative to the U.S. Coral Reef and Task Force was uh, Director of Agriculture Chosumuni Brook. She was there as well, and so there's been a lot of that exchange uh, going in. Palau, as you know, is uh, is uh, almost world famous for its uh, reefs and its rock Beautiful. islands, and, and it has Hawaiian the Bali fish. Yes, have you ever been to Palau, Bronson? No, I want to go though. <laughs> you should. I, I, I you know, I, I I tell people I had the, when my wife Kelly. Um, well, uh, well, for a period of about four years, was employed by the government of Palau as their uh, as their uh, cultural ath- anthropologist and ethnographer. And so uh, we had a place down in Palau. I used to commute an awful lot between Guam to go down there. But it was 
it was uh, it was it was quite an quite an uh, quite an experience. And the, uh, the jellyfish lake uh, again, uh, yeah, you know how that heard. works. It, it is it is a lake filled with um, jellyfish that it's isolated from the uh, salt water, and they've evolved over time so they don't have stingers. <laughs> so you can like swim in, and they swarm around you here, and it's just a remarkable experience. Oh my yeah, goodness. there is a, um, I believe it's, um, uh, I think it's called The Living Seas. It's, uh, I think you can find it on Netflix. It's narrated by Meryl Streep, but that, um, it's a major, uh, you know, uh, it's a very ocean-related thing. But they have a whole component on the uh, rock islands and jellyfish lake, and, mm-hmm. and the, so anyone's experience. But I always recommend that people are going to um, uh, go any place in Micronesia. I mean, other than Guam, of course, they should go to Palau because uh, although the topography um, for Micronesia uh, is pretty much the same between Guam and, and Saipan and Panape and elsewhere, but Palau has as is on that edge between Micronesia and uh, Southeast Asia. Right. And like so Indonesia and, uh, and yeah. Indonesia in particular. And so the level of biodiversity is really high, but you you get a, a the, that interchange, and then it's just. Uh, beautiful, not to mention the ro- the rock islands as well. So, if you ever start a fully exploring Micronesia, I think I would recommend you start with Palau. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and do you do you uh, do you dive? No. <laughs> no. Neither do I. Kelly and I never got around to learn how to dive, but we used to um, every weekend for uh, uh, go to um, one of the um, hotels, which has had to be on a marine preserve. Yes. Yeah. It was uh, Palau Pacific Resort, and uh, we would get a membership there to do it and. We do laps snorkeling um, back and forth, and then uh, and there were like fish. Their fish were used to visitors, and you go fish and mantas wow. and turtles, and they're just uh, abs- absolutely wonderful. But um, uh, I, I sort of digress here. Uh, <laughs> so Bronson, you know, um, this is you've been there with us for our last program when we had the census group. Yes. What is your reaction to uh, listening to Terry and to Peter? I thank them because they gave a lot of information that a lot of people know. We have some hard questions. You yeah, know? and and by the way, thank you callers for calling in. You really contributed to the conversation. Uh, one of the reasons why we we uh, I, I I do this program is basically to get the information out there uh, to the public to make it accessible and to give them a, a chance not to call in not just with their or uh, to to uh, share opinions but, uh, and to ask questions of people who have opinions, but be give them access to people who know what they're talking about, uh, actual experts in the field, who are uh, hard, uh, in in the trenches there doing this uh, serious work, and uh, give you access to them as opposed to some politician who may or some person with an with an opinion who wants to, you know, uh, shout out or something here. It, it's it, I think um, there's a number of shows that have a. Have a platform for that, but um, our program is, is is concerned with information, and this is kind of what it's called the data hub uh, to provide you and actually in, in get the information on the community on a, on a range of things that uh, that affect the future of our island. Um, and I, I and in part also one of the some of the issues we're going to get into in, in coming weeks is is also the the whole idea of how we want to Guam to develop. Now, I, t- I sort of touched on that in my uh, presentation for the Assembly Planners on February 20th. The Bureau plans to move uh, uh, forward uh, with what is known as the Comprehensive Development Plan. It's been on the books for like a half century. And the last time it was done was in, in uh, the late Governor Ricky Pidale's first term. And it's a guiding document that is used as a basis for land use plans, but it's supposed to be a guiding document for uh, Guam's future. But it needs to be updated and to 
deal with uh, concepts that weren't on the horizon a half century ago, like uh, like resiliency for climate change or the green economy. So we'll be engaging that uh, work as well, and I'll have people from the bureau uh, on to ex explain this process, explain the history, and how we plan to move forward on this. Um, and you know, I also um, uh, pl I plan to have on uh, in, in the next uh, uh, few weeks uh, is uh, people from the uh, uh, the governor's zero waste working group, which is. Uh, uh, chaired by uh, first gentleman uh, Jeff Cook nice. on a voluntary basis. Wow. You know, the governor made a point of mentioning that last name because, rem just remarkably, she, there have been comms on social media asking if he got paid to be on it. In none of these task forces created by the governor, anyone's get paid to be on it. You know, uh, some of us like me who are on like, the zero waste working group, I, I have a government job, but I don't get paid extra to be yeah. on the zero working group. And, 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 love. and yeah, and and. And you and and that's how sort of people are are picked. You want people who are interested in doing it. So people like on Bert Johnson's uh, business uh, uh, license and permitting task force here, that they are there's actually no government employees on it. They were deliberately chosen from the private sector, the wow. people who are uh, subject to these regulations. Now a number of them, like Bert, for example, have extensive uh, public service experience, but they're all in the private sector. And so you and to get these people to uh, contribute their time, they have to be really interested in this. Right. Uh, and so we, we've uh, earlier on this year we featured people from uh, uh, the governor's uh, climate change commission here. We will uh, bring in the people from the governor's uh, zero waste working group, but also other task forces working on issues. And last night at the uh, at the uh, governor's state of Idaho address, he's now at the formation of an interagency group to deal with the issue of homelessness. Yes. Which is oh, uh, that that's an interesting uh, that's going to be very uh, interesting and challenging topic to take on because. The issue of homeless is more than just finding them homes here. There are, there are continuum service issues. There often are mental health issues. That's there why they're still going around doing counts, right? I think yeah, well, a actually, we, we, there's, there's two things. There will be, a, on the group settings a portion of the census, by the way, there will be a, a, to count the homeless as well. But uh, aside from the census operation on an annual basis, uh, a number of people in the Homeless Coalition, that includes uh, the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, but also private organizations like uh, Catholic Social Services, they get together and pull resources and go out and count the homeless. And that's used as a basis for uh, securing uh, federal funding for, for deal with homeless issues here. We've but seen the veterans as well. They were doing that as well. Yeah, of the, what the Veterans Council is very important. And one of the uh, challenging issue, issues for my colleague uh, Fred Berdow, head of the Office of Veterans Affairs, is to make sure we get an accurate count of the veterans. So they better make our case uh, to the federal government to provide the services that our veterans have earned and right, deserved. Right. And uh, so, anyway, th these are these are a number of the issues coming for the uh, for the next uh, uh, few weeks here. Um, I thank you all for joining us for this uh, latest uh, edition of the Data Hub. Um, that I've, I've taken. Uh, I'm, I'm very uh, very pleased to have the opportunity to share with you the information that, that's available out there and. Uh, in any future programs, I encourage you all to, if you have any questions, please call on in and be part of the conversation. So thank you all for joining us this evening, and I'll see you next Tuesday when I'll be with Bert Johnson from the Business License and Permitting Task Force to talk about how to streamline business licenses and permitting uh, for the benefit of not only of, of private business, but for the efficiency and, uh, of our government and the, and the prosperity of the island here. So thank you all. See you next week here for the Data Hub.
KGUM, AM, Hagatnya, Guam, News Talk K57. And welcome back. This is uh, another Tuesday night. We're here for the Data Hub of Tyrone Titano. Um, tonight is the uh, fourth week in the, m of the month of February, and as we do every fourth week, is that we revisit with the 2020 Census of Guam. And I have with us tonight once again uh, the local uh, U.S. Census Bureau Census Advisor, Terry Long. Welcome, Terry. Thank you. Okay. And also with us is uh, brand new to the program, it's Peter Villa. He's the Assistant uh, Manager for Field Operations. Hi, Peter. Thanks for the, joining the program. Hi, Mr. Ty Titano. Oh, just call me Tyrone. This is okay. Um, Peter, how long you've been on the um, on board for about what? Uh, close to a little over a month right now. Or? That's correct. I came on board in January of 2020. And how's the experience for you so far? It's been overwhelming and exciting. Ah, well, both good uh, good things, I think. So, uh, what you give, perhaps share for the listeners, Peter? What is your background? Yeah. What have you previously done? Well, I'm a retired Superior Court Marshal Supervisor. I retired in 2016. Mm -hmm. Did about 31 years in law enforcement on Guam. Okay, great. Well, we're, you're a valuable addition to the team. Uh, so, in any event, let's let's um, let's probably bring the listeners um, up to date as to where it's happening now. We're in the middle of the address listing phase, right, Terry? We are near the end of we're address near the listing. The end of address listing Final phase. Final week, right now. Okay, what's it been like, though? Um, well, for me, it's been pretty exciting, just because I've been working on this project for. Mm. quite some time before I ever came to the island itself and to finally be in operation and actually doing the data collection has been really exciting and you know we're really happy around the office with the productivity levels that we've been getting and we are on uh, schedule to finish on time this week. Okay great well by the way l l listeners here Terry is uh, as I often introduce her as as one of Guam's newer residents she has been uh, assigned by the U.S. Census Bureau to be with the whole rollout of the 2020 Census of Guam beginning September of last year to September of this year. So uh, she, in fact, will be counted as a Guam resident, a part of 2020 Census of Guam. That is correct. Yeah. And so, therefore, but also she's had experience with this uh, program uh, before on uh, the census here. And perhaps for the, um, the listeners in education, you've given this, asked this question before, I know, because I've asked you this <laughs> question before, but uh, uh, it's, it's an issue worth revisiting. Uh, generally, uh, convey to the listeners what, what is the, uh, the value of the import of the uh, census operation? So the 2020 census is a once-in-a-decade snapshot of our island. And I say our island because, as Ty just mentioned, I consider myself a Guamanian. Now if I'm here, I'm going to be counted here. Yeah. Well, the, if the U.S. Census Bureau counts you as living here and a resident of Guam, so therefore you must be. Therefore I yeah. am. So what it is, though, it's the one time that the Census Bureau does an uh, in-depth population count, and it's a look at the population, the characteristics of that population, as well as of the structures in which they reside. And so we only do it every 10 years, mm -hmm. and it is an exciting and important operation. It is the, actually the largest non-military operation that the nation does as a whole. So it's important that we take this opportunity to respond and participate when the enumerators come knock on our door because the data that they are collecting from us will be used to drive important decisions. Well, what, perhaps again for the listeners' in, uh, interest in education, what, what kind of decisions will it drive? 
So the information that's collected, it goes across a variety of data points. So we've got age, we have uh, educational attainment, we've got income, all of these questions mm -hmm. uh, feed into a larger scope. So for example, the decision makers here on island can use the data that is collected to determine where resources are needed, such as for the number of schools, looking at the age of children in a particular village. We can also look at um, emergency services. Mm -hmm. You can look at, w based upon the age of structures, the age of the residents, the income that they have, where are vulnerable populations. Yeah, and although census bureaus too, uh, making decisions as to what part of this data will be made available. But at this point, what will be made available and what might we see made available uh, when the census is done? So we're going to finish data collection this summer and then next summer in 2021, we will release the population count for mm -hmm. the island. And then after that, the Census Bureau is still deciding what the final, what we call data products will be, mm -hmm. but they will start to be delivered starting next summer. Ah, and and in as part of this process here, you know. Uh, by the way, perhaps for the listeners' education, the the census form that is being used for the 2020 Census of Guam is is rather longer than the one being used in the mainland. In part because uh, we're sort of playing catch up with uh, uh, with the forms that are long in circulation on, on the mainland in, the, in between census operations and capturing more data. With this one, now they have the opportunity for the enumeration phase. Um, what else is different between how the census is being conducted, say, on the mainland here? For one, there's no um, online approach, correct, right? Yeah. Correct. So there, um, so one, you hit on the biggest difference, which mm -hmm. is the length of the questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because, as you referenced, they're on state side, they have a survey that happens every single year. So there's mm -hmm. an annual survey that gives them an estimate for the information that we're collecting. But for Guam, because of the population size, they only do it once every 10 years because it's important that we don't release uh, what they call disclosure of anybody's personal identifiable information. So based upon the population size that we have, we can only do this every 10 years. We can't do the every year survey that happens stateside. So that's the biggest difference. So the questionnaire, the length of the questions are significantly different. Mm -hmm. The other option is, yes, you're correct that there is no online option. Or mail. Uh, or mail or a telephone. Mm. So the 2020 Census of Guam is 100% in-person enumerator-led questionnaire. Which in, in, in this circumstance is actually going to be more accurate than some of the other approaches which tends to uh, assess or estimate uh, the population out there. So we, we benefit from that. We definitely benefit from that. And also like a difference between 2010 to now is in 2010 we did what was called an advanced census report. Mm -hmm. And because there's a lot of questions, the quality of the initial data required a lot of follow-up. So mm -hmm. by doing it with the numerator-led up front, then we can reduce the amount of follow-up that will be needed at the end of the operation. So that's why there have been people in the streets for the past month with the uh, 2020 Census of Guam attire. Uh, Peter, uh, you, how is the feedback from the enumerators on the streets as they go through the address listing phase? Well, right now the uh, morale is very high. Mm -hmm. They're excited. Um, we've have, we have a good crew right now. Um, they're staying on board. Uh, they're communicating well with their FOS and their crew leaders. Mm -hmm. And they're communicating well with the mayors. Uh, it's been a great response by the mayor. Uh, uh, the mayors throughout the villages uh, welcoming the uh, numerators uh, to their uh, uh, facilities in the neighborhoods and even offer them a, 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 like a resource room, a conference room, mm. where all the numerators and the crew leaders can meet together and have a... Like a, a staging area before they hit the street. Yes, yeah. yes. So instead of using a, a, a public area mm -hmm. where they, you can have some distractions, you know, uh, uh, something that can distract them from really concentrating on, on their work. The mayors are realizing the importance of, uh, of this uh, project and they're allowing the, um, the enumerators and the crew leaders out there to utilize their facilities 
so they can have some type of uh, a secure and uh, an environment where they can really focus on their assignments and talk about what's going on within the, the, the neighborhoods. And I would think that working with the mayors has helped ease their uh, ability to uh, go into the neighborhood and so it doesn't necessarily create alarm by, uh, uh, by strange people in the neighborhood by working through the mayor. Definitely. Uh, all the mayors are connected to their, uh, what, to their neighborhood uh, WhatsApp chats mm -hmm. and uh, they're reassuring the, uh, the residents, the, the residents, the villages that the people that you're seeing out there who are properly identified okay, are, are the census workers and, and, and they're, they're focused on their mission. Of, of gathering data and doing address listing, it's, it's all good for the community. And a lot of times also the mayors are also putting it in print media. They have some bulletins that are going mm -hmm. out on a, on a monthly basis, sometimes uh, twice a month, informing them also of the, uh, the presence and the awareness of the uh, U.S. Census workers out there. Uh, you know, one of the questions I get often is for the safety of the people and numerators who hit the streets, particularly concerned about dogs and other things. So, Peter, what steps are taken for to make sure that they conduct their, uh, their uh, what they have to do out in the field, but in a safe uh, uh, manner? Well, definitely we, we take safety uh, uh, very, very, very it's, a, it's prioritized highly in, in training. We talk about uh, b before you even uh, exit your vehicle, make sure the, uh, the area is, is, is safe uh, uh, from something like that. Um, uh, proper attire, clothing, make sure you're wearing good shoes. That uh, vest, right? That vest that they wear most definitely, right? Definitely. Identification. And, and that's our producer, Bronson, yeah. who's our you know, psyche to help make yeah. sure this goes out the air properly. Thanks, Frank. That's a great uh, point, Bronson. Go yeah. ahead. Once you're properly identified and, and through the media and through the public service announcements and the mayors, that the, the, the residents are, are, are their apprehension is it's a little bit at ease now. And being properly identified, now, now we can have some type of uh, uh, communication and contact with the residents. They, so if they have a, a dog that's not properly uh, uh, leashed because of the identification of the uniform and the awareness, uh, they take control of the situation. Mm. I can see your law enforcement and background uh, kicking in here as your assessment of the situation. So, so they're, they're nice to know that the field staff is in, is in good hands. Uh, so, Terry, the address listing is, um, is, is on track to be completed by the end of uh, February, and this is a matter of, um, I don't know quite sure we, we, we've covered in, in this program, but this is a matter of the uh, enumerators going out and with the uh, census maps and sizing up the area to assess structures in the neighborhood to see the, which ones are actually habited and to take notes and so that when they do hit the enumeration phase, they've already basically done recon reconnaissance. Isn't that the case? Pretty much. That's a good summary of what it is. And literally, the enumerators have spent the last three weeks walking through all of the villages, identifying the structures where people live. And the structures can be traditional, such as a house. They can be non-traditional, such as a converted vehicle, a converted uh, bus. They can also be apartments. They can be group quarter living facilities mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And ha there have been efforts made, of course, to reach out to um, what is known as gated communities, for which you have to get access to. So, Peter, how is that op op process going, do you think? It's, it's going great. Uh, we're getting positive feedback, so I think that. Uh, we're, we're identifying uh, who's coming. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also informed that it may be one or two enumerators. So not to worry about. However, though, if you are concerned, if your if your resident managers are concerned, they can definitely give us a call mm -hmm. uh, any time during the operations, and we can tell them uh, who that person exactly is out there at, at the gate or making contact with the uh, security guard posted at the main entrance and things like that. You know, in the previous program before us, um, this is Tony talks of Tony Lamarino. He I was uh, he tells me he got a phone call uh, from a blind person, and they were posing the question: How does that person? identify uh, an enumerator comes to their door during the enumeration phase, uh, that they are an actual 
uh, enumerator. And um, there, there is a, a, a process which people can, can take if they're visually impaired to verify the enumerator is uh, out that door is an actual fish sense enumerator, isn't it, Terry? That's correct. So um, for that individual and for any individual, when someone comes to your door, if you want to verify their identity and that they are an official census worker, you can always call our office at 645-2020 and then speak with our field operation team and they will make sure that that individual that came out there to knock on your door is legitimately there. So in process. essence, you ask the guy to identify uh, what his name is and you call the census office and verify that the uh, person there is actually who they say they are and they're in the place they're supposed to be and that's how you can verify with that they are an actual census enumerator. Correct. Uh, for those not visually impaired, the, uh, the attire for a census enumerator is, is rather uh, uh, ex extensive. In addition to the uh, uh, badge that identifies them there, there's the census, 2020 Census of Guam uh, safety jacket in, uh, in, in both colors, and there's also, in which I've been, I've been envious of for months now, the uh, 2020 Census of Guam uh, bag, you know, from which they can carry all the enumeration phase. Yeah, I want uh, one. I want one. Yeah, <laughs> after me, Bronson. After me, you know. Yeah. Actually, actually, if you want one, they're they're still they're We're still accepting they're still, still yeah. accepting applications. So yeah. 2020 Census of Guam. Yeah, but not not tonight. But you know, at, at some point. Um, in going through the um, the uh, the address listing phase, if there you've come across anything that is um, was unexpected, either positively, negatively, or, or just, just a part of the learning curve? Well, the, the presence of social media is, is something that's very, mm -hmm. very uh, uh, positive because why? Cause it's, it's a feedback. Mm -hmm. um, if, if there's something going on in, in that neighborhood and they contact the, the, the point of contact and, they, uh, and, they're, and they're well aware of the situation and they, they know it's a, a, a census worker, they give us a call. Mm -hmm. They notify management. And that we respond accordingly. Uh, we don't we, we don't waste any time. We get back there to that mayor or to that person, and we return that phone call, or we pay we pay a personal visit, and say that that, that is our personnel, that is our operations, I think that. And what can we do to uh, to uh, uh, to make it better? So your your residents will be made well, well aware that uh, that that's our people out there. And following up on that, I want to say like the WhatsApp chat that you mentioned before, mm -hmm. what we were really encouraged by was that a lot of the chatter was more about the safety and concern for our enumerators. Mm -hmm. They were looking out for them. They Welcome would see individuals on. walking by themselves mm -hmm. and they would say, hey, did you see this person that sent his workers there? And so from our perspective, it was really pleasant to see people say, okay, make sure we take care of them yeah. while they're in our neighborhood. Yeah, well, here in Guam, the one or the other feature why people uh, are concerned about people walking. So you're beginning to wonder why they're not driving. Uh, that, that's happened. That happened to me. So they, you know, I, I, for one reason, I'm walking a couple blocks, and friends pull over. Is it, is it okay? Did your car break down? You know, so, <laughs> so that always uh, strikes attention. Um, in in the process of going through, um, you know, house to house and, and 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 street by street, this is done by individual uh, enumerators. It's not done on. It, although they're organized in teams for various areas, but. The ones going to each particular house. It's an individual numerator. It's not pairs of numerators or groups of numerators. Isn't that the case? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And hence the concern about about safety, about making sure they're done safety. But there's a number of things done to um, uh, to make sure the safe uh, uh, environment, including uh, they're instructed uh, in if if they come across a situation like, for example, there's this big hostile dog tied up there. They've been uh, given standing instructions to bypass and they'll come back later to deal with it. Isn't that the case? Definitely, yes, yes. Uh, notify their crew leader, uh, make, uh, make several attempts uh, uh, in the future to next time they go to back to that residence or location to, uh, to notify the mayor, 
ask the mayor for assistance, mm -hmm. said, or even to talk to the neighbor and see if we can get some type of information where we can uh, notify that residents that our presence is out there and that we're out here to do the enumeration. If anyone in the audience has any questions for uh, uh, Terry Long and Peter Avila, you can call on the lines here, 477-5757, 477-5757, and we're here to uh, answer uh, all the questions you, you wanted to ask about the census but were afraid to ask, you know, so, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's it was, I could see the sense of bu busy uh, and uh, the level of excitement building and anticipation. Uh, as we get deeper into the 2020 census of Guam, not due in, not in small part, uh, to the presence of so many people on the, on the street. So in addition to uh, TV and radio commercials and social media commercials, there they gave you a real sense of, that something is, is out there. Um, you know, Terry, in, in preparation for your current assignment here, you, you and the U.S. Census Bureau, of course, examined uh, the after-action reports from the 2010 mm -hmm. census. Uh, and um, it, perhaps um, you could... Uh, uh, give uh, the listeners some insight is uh, what was learned from the 2010 census, what's kind of different, and how that has shaped uh, uh, how the uh, Census Bureau has constructed uh, the 2020 Census of Guam uh, program, so to speak. I think the biggest difference is just the level of planning. Mm. So in, in 2010, and the, the individuals who worked on the 2010 census did a lot of great work, mm. but I know that the person who had my position joined the program like a month before he came out. Oh my God. Right, exactly. And given the huge undertaking. Oh, okay. Sorry, let me finish it. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, line one, okay. Caller, welcome to the program. What's your question? I, I just have a question about the census. Please, go ahead. Okay. So when are they supposed to come around, like, for people that work? Uh, Terry? So that is a great question. So the census, the, uh, the interviews period starts next Monday, actually. What will happen, even if you're at work, a census um, enumerator may knock on your door. You might not be there. But if they miss you, they will leave a notice of visit. And that notice of visit will have the office number, and then it will have a case ID number that's specific to your location. And then you can call the office to set up an appointment where we can come back at a time that's convenient for you, or the enumerator will come back at another time. Call is okay. that it? Do Sorry. they do anything on the weekends? They do do things on the weekends, yes. Oh, so okay. if you would like to do an appointment on the weekend, if you get a notice of visit, then go ahead and make a phone call to our office, and we can set up an appointment for you and that enumerator on the weekend. Okay. Yeah. And caller, uh, just so you understand, in addition to working on weekends here, they're also run flexible hours during weekdays, and, uh, working as far late as 7 p.m., you know, at least until before it gets dark. So it, there's also the option of catching people when they come home from work, presuming they have an 8 to 5, uh, eight to five shift. Um, any other callers that answer your question? Yes, that answers my question. Okay, thank you so th much. Thank you so much for calling in and being part of the conversation. So, Terry, you were giving us this horror story of this <laughs> one guy who got uh, put in charge of the census office and was only hired one month before the operation. Yes, yes. And it's amazing the work that he was able to do. But the, one of the biggest changes is I've been in this position a year before I ever actually mm -hmm. deployed out here. So that's the first biggest change. Yeah, and, and actually called us before she arrived in September for a year-long uh, sojourn. She had... Uh, visit the island, I believe, twice before you know, you, you know, setting it down as a resident. So you know, she had a, and and, and did we had you come before 2019 or no? no. Okay. So January of 2019 was my first time. Oh, then when we first met. When we so, first met, okay, yeah. That I was new on the job as director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, and uh, plunged into <laughs> That's right. the wonderful world of the 2020 <laughs> Census of Guam. 
you know, and uh, all the challenges that involve. But so, yeah. so I'm sorry. I, you, so comparisons between 2010 and 2020. I mean, one of the things that occurred to me is probably 2020 census of law is more social media inten intensive. But not that 2010 did not have a social media element, but man, things have changed in just 10 years. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, there's um, channels and there's media platforms that didn't even exist in 2010 that are being utilized now for uh, just communication level. So we take an aggressive approach for the 2020 Census of Guam to get materials out there on social media. We're mm -hmm. on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, and we put out messages that are interesting facts about the census and mm -hmm. also just updates about what we're doing. So you've seen a lot of uh, address listing ads probably. We've got digital billboards um, talking about address listing and showing what our enumerators are wearing and what to expect. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the use of social media has been great because it allows us to get the information out there a lot quicker. Even with, so for example, going back to the WhatsApp chat, mm -hmm. when we were getting questions from the different village chats, we can actually send the uh, flyer that had a picture of what our enumerator would look like directly to the people. So we didn't mm. have to wait. We didn't have to put out a well, press release. We how how you would be attired? Them. So all the uh, with the with the jacket with and the, the and correct. the ba uh, the badge and the and the 2020 Census of Guam uh, bag for which Bronson and I are now very envious <laughs> of. You know, this is. Um, um, you know, I know a caller just called in right now. They wanted to know what happens when you're off island and they're doing the census. That's a great question, Terry. That is a great question. So if you are off island during the census, well, one, we are doing data collection through the summer. So there's a good chance that unless you're off island for several, several months, we should probably catch you at home. However, if you are off island, then we do have a procedure in place where we just, what we call, a, it's called a proxy. Mm -hmm. And if you're on vacation for the entire duration, then we will actually reach out to the mayor's office to just for general information. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, but this is only applies if you're off island temporarily. If they have your way in military service or college or something like that, then this doesn't, it doesn't apply in that case here. So if you're off island um, for college and you're living in a dormitory stateside or anywhere mm -hmm. else, or even living in a dorm on uh, Guam, then you'll be counted elsewhere. You'll be counted in the group quarter population count. But the point is you'll be counted, say you're in a, in a college dormitory in Wisconsin, you'll be counted in the you'll Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Sense, yeah. as opposed to on, on Guam. Uh, convert. By the way, uh, another question often comes up is, is uh, tourists that come to Guam. Uh, they would not be included in the count. They would not be included. It because is for the people who primarily reside here. Actually live here, yeah. as opposed to being here on a uh, transitory phase. Correct. Uh, and of course, for purposes of living here, um, military personnel who are stationed here for years, uh, not just transiting through, but actually live here for years, they would also be part of the count. That is correct. Per, uh, perhaps, again, again, we were covering some stuff that was covered in previous interviews, and you, you probably, well, and maybe you steeled yourself before you start, <laughs> started uh, this, this uh, nature assignment to answer the same questions over and over and over again. But uh, some of it sort of bears repeating, because I still run into people who, you know, uh, uh, did not have the benefit of listening to our previous programs when, uh, when we've had discussion. I, I know, I know, they, they sometimes hide their head in shame, you know, in admitting that they did not hear the previous ones, but, you know, <laughs> what can we do, you know? Uh, they're not always all as attentive as Bronson, but um, the, uh, perhaps describe, you know, the, the 2020 Census of Guam operation for which uh, uh, you and Peter are involved in uh, only take care of the count outside the fence line offside the military bases. It will count military personnel who actually live off base, but inside the fence line here, that's a separate operation. Perhaps you describe that. 
So it's still part of the 2020 census, but it is handled separately. Mm -hmm. So if you live on a military installation, for example, the data collection period is only for the month of March. Mm. So it will begin on March 2nd, like it will outside the, the gate, but it will only go through March 25th. Mm. That's like one of the biggest differences is that the on-base military data collection is only during that period of time. The second part is that we have a special team coming here from D.C. to do that data mm -hmm. collection directly. So they are not part of the local staff that was hired here um, for the rest of the island, but they are part of their federal employees that are coming out strictly from D.C. just to do that data collection of the military installation. And then once they, uh, that enumeration uh, operation on, ba on base is done, the forms are turned over to the a local census office to be gone through as quality control right. and They're review. They're processed through the census office like all the other questionnaires. And I will say that for individuals who live outside or off base, you will be counted off base in the regular process, so you will go through. Okay, and we have another question. And Rick, you have a question for our panel here. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about how the college student who, for example, was in my household, yet now that they're off-island for college, they're no longer counted, we counted as part of my household, when I can claim that my child who's in college in my taxes. I bring this up because I, isn't the whole purpose of a consensus is to account for um, uh, income, earning, uh, family, and, um, and and the benefits that can be derived from the numbers that make up a geography a ge jurisdiction. So explain to me why, in one instance, so in, for taxes, my child can be counted in my household, but because now they are physically located in another ge uh, geographic location stateside, that it different and what are the repercussions for um, the census misreporting that? Thank you. So that's a great question. I want to be uh, clear though. It's, it's not actually a misreporting. The census and the IRS have two different functions. So for the census, it is l literally just a count of the population at that point in time who reside on Guam. So in the example that you're providing, your college student primarily resides, they spend about eight to nine months of the year living somewhere else. And so it's not about for tax purposes or even for that level of claiming that individual on your taxes. It's literally about counting the people who are primarily living on Guam at that point in time. So that's why college students that live in a dormitory or even live stateside or even maybe perhaps internationally, even though you can technically claim them on your taxes, in terms of a census, which is about the population count for that geographic area of people who primarily live there at that time, that's why they're not included. Also, I'd point out here that uh, distinguished to the census uh, count of uh, who actually lives here, it not only distinguished uh, from uh, uh, how their um, uh, process in terms of uh, filing for taxes, but also in terms of legal residency for purpose of voting here. So in essence, you're counting people who are uh, legal residents and are registered to vote here, and people uh, in particular on base who are, reg who are registered to vote and consider legal residents of, of whatever state they, they, they came from here. Uh, there, there's that sort of distinctions involved in, uh, in, uh, between uh, asserting people's uh, obligation and asserting people's rights. 
And the 2020 Census of, of Guam, indeed the census operation, is probably best viewed as a data uh, collection process. You get a, like a snapshot as to what that community looks like at that particular portion, and particularly the community uh, where, the, where people, for, for whatever reason, for wherever they came from, for how long they're ever they're going to stay there, people who actually live there and reside there. And from that, you get a, a, a basis from which to make uh, decisions uh, for your community here. Uh, regardless how the individual breakdown may be, and understand that the numbers produced aren't, aren't uh, don't identify individuals, they identify aggregate numbers. Aggregate numbers that can be used as basis for uh, determining allocations under federal programs. Aggregate numbers that can be used as basis for local government policies in terms of uh, uh, dealing with a growing community. Aggregate information that can be used for private businesses, for example, in uh, determining marketing strategies or their own uh, uh, business plans. I've uh, in, in previous uh, interviews we had on, on another uh, station, um, it's been sort of mentioned that, for example, the housing data has in, from previous census has been really important in making uh, planning business plans. And, and so this would apply for this case here. Uh, we're heading to the top of the hour uh, where we'll have the uh, uh, evening, CBS Evening News. And uh, as we uh, uh, laid out, we'll return back with Terry Long and Peter Avila. Anyone who has any uh, further questions for this panel, they'll be here at least for another half hour. Uh, please call at 477-5757, 477-57. And we'll see you on the other side. <laughs>